Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. Leprechaun is an unusually small supernatural being in Irish folklore, classed by some as a type of solitary fairy. Their physical characteristics are typical of that of a little bearded man, wearing a coat or a hat, who partake in mischief. In later times, they have been depicted as shoemakers who have hidden a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Leprechaun-like creatures rarely appear in Irish mythology and have only become prominent in later folklore. My name is DJ, and this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast presents Beyond the Myth. Hello, and welcome to tonight's show. I sure hope you enjoyed the winter as much as I have, but unfortunately, it's that time of year where we say goodbye and say hello to spring. With this episode airing in the beginning of March, it is the month of St. Patrick's Day, which, in the United States, is celebrated by wearing green, pinching people without consent, and drinking green-dyed beer. Continuing with our Beyond the Myth series, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about leprechauns and possibly other fairy folk. Now, the word leprechaun is from the Anglo-Irish word uh, that's descended from Old Irish. The current spelling is used throughout Ireland, but there are numerous regional variances. John O'Donovan's supplement to O'Reilly's Irish-English Dictionary defines leprechaun as, quote, a sprite, a pygmy, a fairy of diminutive size, who always carries a purse containing a shilling. An Irish term for a leprechaun in O'Reilly's Dictionary has also been recognized to having an alternate spelling, which I'll list in the description below. There are various other spellings in English that have included uh, different spellings. However, in modern Irish books, the spelling is L-I-O for con. The first recorded instance of the word in the English language was that in Decker's comedy, The Honest Whore, Part 2, in 1604, the quote, As for your Irish lubricon, that spirit whom by preposterous charms thy Lust hath raised in the wrong circle. Now, as for the meaning of the word leprechaun, it may have been coined as a compound for roots lu or lach, which is Greek for small, and corp, Latin for corpus or body, small body, or so had been suggested by Whitley Stoke. Research published in 2019 suggests that the word actually derived and is associated with the Roman festival of Lupercalia. Folk emetology derives the word from lith, which means half, and brogue, because of the frequent portrayal of a leprechaun as working on a single shoe, as evident in the alternate spelling lethbragen. The earliest known references to a leprechaun actually appear in medieval tales known as the Ectra Fergus Maclete, or Adventure of Fergus, Son of Lente. 
The saga exists in two widely divergent versions. The first one that was written in Dublin and has been dated back to the 8th century. The second version is a copy of an 8th century text written on a single leaf inserted into London's British Library books. The saga was rewritten in the 13th century as a burlesque version. The text contains an episode in which Fergus, uh, king of Ilstar, falls asleep at the beach and wakes to find himself being dragged into the sea by three leprechauns. He captures his abductors, who grant him three wishes in exchange for release. Now, in modern folklore, the leprechaun is said to be a solitary creature, whose principal occupation is making and cobbling shoes, who enjoys also practical jokes. In McNally's 1888 account, the leprechaun was not a professional cobbler, but was frequently seen mending his own shoes, as, quote, he runs about so much he wears them out, with great frequency. This is, he claims, a perfect opportunity for a human being to capture a leprechaun, refusing to release them until they give the captor supernatural wealth. The leprechaun has been classed as a solitary fairy, as I said before, by the writer and amateur folklorist William Butler Yeats. Yeats was part of a revivalist literary movement greatly influential in calling attention to the leprechaun in the late 19th century. The classification by Yeats is derived by, or sorry, from D.R. McNally's wonder, uh, Irish Wonders in 1888, which again derived in turn John O'Holland in 1870. It stressed that the leprechaun, through some may call it a fairy, is certainly a distinguished from a Ossie, or the good people of the fairy mounds and raths. Leprechaun being solitary is one distinguishing characteristic, but additionally, the leprechaun is thought to only engage in pranks on the level of mischief and requiring a special caution, but in contrast, the Ossie may carry out deeds more menacing to humans, such as being spiriting away children. This identification of Leprechaun as a fairy has been co-signed by popular notion in modern folklorist uh, Dermund Golan. Golan observes that the dwarf of the Teutonic and other traditions, as well as the household familiar, are more equal to compare. According to Yetz, the great wealth of the Leprechauns comes from, quote, the treasure crocs buried of old in wartime, end quote, which they have uncovered and appropriated. According to David Russell McNally, the leprechaun is the son of an evil spirit, or a degenerate fairy, and is not wholly good, nor wholly evil. Leprechaun's appearances originally had a different appearance, depending on where in Ireland they were found. Before the 20th century, it was generally held that the leprechaun wore red and not green. Samuel Lover, writing in 1831, describes the leprechaun as follows, quote, Quite a bow in his dress, notwithstanding, for he wears a red square-cut coat, richly laced with gold, and inexpressible of the same, hocked hat, 
shoes, and buckles. End quote. However, according to Yetz, the solitary fairies, like the leprechaun, wore red jackets, whereas the trooping fairies wore green. Yetz's leprechaun wore a jacket with several rows of buttons, and seven buttons in each row. Yetz describes that on the western coat, the red jacket is covered by a woven plain cloth, where in Ulster, the creature wears a cocked hat, and when he is up to anything unusually mischievous, he leaps onto a wall and spins, balancing himself to the point of the hat with his heels in the air. According to McAnally, the universal leprechaun is described, as we all know, as follows. Quote, he is about three feet high, is dressed in a little red coat or jacket or roundabout, with red breeches, buckled up to the knee, gray and black stockings, and a hat cocked in the style of the century ago, over a little, old, withered face. Round his neck is, an Elizabethan ruff, and furls of lace wear at his wrists. On the wild west coast, there, where the Atlantic winds bring almost constant rains, he dispenses with ruff and frills, and wears a plain woven coat, cloth, overcoat, over his pretty red suit, so that, unless on the lookout for the cocked hat, ye might pass a leprechaun on the road and never know it's himself that's in it at all. This dress varied by region, and McAnally's account, there are differences between leprechauns and other ferrymen in the different regions, such as in Northern Leprechaun wore a military red coat and white breeches. In Tipperary, they wore an antique sashed jacket of red. In Kerry, was a fat, pursy little fellow whose jolly round face rivals the redness of the cutaway jacket they wore. And in Monaghan, they wore a swallow-tailed evening coat of red with a green vest, white breeches, and black, black stockings. In the poem, The Leprechaun, or Fairy Shoemaker, 18th century poet William Allingham described the appearance of the leprechaun as a wrinkled, wizened, and beard elf, spectacles stuck on the pointed nose, silver buckles on his shoes, a leather apron, and a shoe in his lap. The modern image of the leprechaun sitting on a toadstool, having a red beard and green hat, is more of a modern invention or borrowed from other strands of European folklore. The most likely example explanation for the modern-day leprechaun appearance is that green is a traditional Irish color, dating back to as far as 1642. The hat might have been derived from the style of outdated fashion, still common in Ireland in the 19th century. This style of fashion was commonly worn by Irish immigrants to the United States, since some Elizabethan-era clothes were still common in Ireland in the 19th century, long after they were out of fashion as depicted in the stage Irish. The buckle shoes and other garments also have their origins in Elizabethan periods in Ireland. Now, there are some similar creatures to the leprechaun, such as the Fardagarig, which is a solitary creature as well. Some writers even go as far as to substitute the second 
to less well-known spirits for the Leprechaun in stories or tales that reach a wider audience. A Clericon is considered by some to be merely a Leprechaun on a drinking spree. Politics in the Republic of Ireland, Leprechauns were used to refer to the twee aspects of tourism field in the Ireland. This is seen from the example of John Costello's address in 1963, stating, For many years, we were afflicted with the miserable trivialities of our tourist advertising. Sometimes it descended to the lowest depths, to the chalet and the cabine, not to speak for the leprechaun. Now, in pop culture, films, animated cartoons, and advertising have popularized the specific image of leprechauns, which bears little to no resemblance to anything found in the cycles of Irish folklore. Some argue that the popularized image of the leprechaun is more than a series of stereotypes based on derogatory, anti-Irish 19th century caricatures. Many Celtic music groups have used the term leprechaun as part of their naming convention, or an album title. Some popular forms of American music, including heavy metal, Celtic metal, punk rock, and jazz, have all used the mythological creature. You may even know some famous leprechaun characters right off the top of your head, such as Lucky, the mascot for Lucky Charms. It's created by General Mills. The Notre Dame Leprechaun, official mascot of the Fighting Irish Sports Team in the University of Notre Dame. Lucky the Leprechaun, mascot of the Boston Celtics in the United States NBA team, has been featured on the team's logo. Hornswoggle, a creature created by the professional wrestler Dylan Mark Postal, has completed under the persona of a majority of his WWE tenure. Of course, in 1993, the American horror slasher film Leprechaun and its sequels feature a killer leprechaun portrayed by the actor Warwick Davis. Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Krugman coined the term leprechaun economics to describe disoriented or unsound economic data, which he first used in a tweet in July 2016 in response to a publication by the Irish Central Statistics Office, or CSO, that the Irish GDP had grown by 26.3%, and the Irish GNP had grown by 18.7% in the 2015 Irish national account. The growth was subsequently shown to be due to Apple restructuring its double Irish tax scheme in which the EU Commission had fined $13 billion in 2004 to 2014 Irish unpaid taxes, the largest corporate tax fine in history. The term had also been used many times since. In the United States, leprechauns are often associated, as I said at the beginning of this episode, with St. Patrick's Day, along with the color green and shamrocks. After this quick message, we'll be right back. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all the other episodes, as well as what we have coming up in the next few weeks. Now, as I said throughout this episode, the leprechaun is seen, uh, is seen as a solitary fairy. A fairy is a type of mythical being or legendary creature, generally described as a anthropomorphic, found in folklore of multiple European cultures. This includes Celtic, Slavic, Germanic, and French folklore, and it's also probably seen as a form of spirit 
often with metaphysical, supernatural, or uh, preternatural qualities to it. Myths and stories about fairies do not have a single origin, but rather a collection of folk beliefs from disparate sources. The label of fairy is sometimes applied to those specific magical creatures with a human appearance, magical powers, and the penchant for trickery. Other times it's used to describe any magical creature, such as goblins, gnomes, and leprechauns. Fairies also have been used as times for adjectives, meaning equivalent to or enchanted or magical. It's also used as a name in the place where things come from, such as the land of fairy. Going back to the term fairy being used to describe any magical creature, uh, while other times the term actually describes a specific type of ethereal creature or sprite. Explanations from the origins of fairies range from Persian mythology to the folklore of the Bretons, Welsh, Korish, Gaelic areas, Germanic peoples, and from the pages of Middle French medieval romances. According to some historians, fairies were adopted from and influenced by the Paris of Persian mythology. Paris were angelic beings that were mentioned in antiquity in pre-Islamic Persia as early as the Achaemenid Empire. Paris were later described in various Persian works in great detail, and the Peri were illustrated to be fair, beautiful, and extravagant natural spirits that were supported by wings. This may have influenced migratory dramatic settlers into Europe, or has been transmitted dur during early exchanges. The similarities could also be attributed to uh, many European mythologies, such as in the Middle Ages, fairies was used as uh, adjectively, meaning enchanted, such as a fairy knight or a fairy queen, but also became a generic term for various enchanted creatures during the late Middle English period. The Victorian and Edwardian era saw a heightened increase in the interest of fairies. The Celtic revival cast fairies as part of Ireland's cultural heritage. Carol Silver and others suggested the fascination of English antiquarians arose from the reaction of greater industrialization and loss of older folk ways. Now, fairies are generally described as humans in appearance, uh, having magical powers. Diminutive fairies, like those mentioned earlier with the leprechaun, range from tiny to the size of a human. These small sizes could be magically assumed rather than constant, meaning they can fluctuate. Some smaller fairies could expand their figures to imitate humans. On Orkney, fairies are described as short in stature, dressed in dark gray, and sometimes seen in armor. And in some folklore, fairies have green eyes only. Some depictions of fairies show that they have footwear, others have them as barefoot. Wings, while common in Victorian era, and later artworks are rarer in folklore. Fairies flew by means of magic, sometimes perched on a stem of a flower or on the back of a bird. Many modern illustrations often include dragonfly and butterfly wings in depictions. Now, as I said earlier, earlier... Early modern fairies did not derive from any single origin. The term is a conflation of disparate elements of folk belief sources influenced by literature and speculation. 
In folklore in Ireland, the mythic or people of the fairy hills have been come into modern meaning somewhat elusive of fairies. Scandinavian elves also served as an influence. Folklorists and mythologists have variously depicted fairies as, quote, the unworthy dead, the children of Eve, a kind of demon, a species independent of humans, an older race of humans, or even fallen angels. The folklorics or mythological elements combine Celtic, Germanic, and Greco-Roman elements. Folklorists have also suggested that fairies arose from various earlier beliefs, which lost currency in the advent of Christianity. These different explanations are not necessarily incompatible, as fairies may be traced to multiple sources. As mentioned, Christianity did a number on the belief of fairies and the depictions of such. At one time, it was thought that fairies were originally worshipped as deities, such as nymphs and tree spirits, and with the burgeoning predominance of the Christian church, reverence for these deities carried on, but in dwindling state of perceived power. Many of these depreciated deities are older, of older folklore and myth are repurposed as fairies and fairy tales in Victorian fiction. A recorded Christian belief in the 17th century cast all fairies as demons, this perspective grew more popular at the rise of Puritanism among the Reformed Church of England. The Hobgoblin, once a friendly house spirit, became classed as a wicked goblin. Dealing with fairies was considered a form of witchcraft and punished as such. In William Shakespeare, A Midsummer's Night's Dream, Oberon, king of the fairies, states that neither he nor his court feared the church bells, which the author and Christian anthropologist C.S. Lewis cast in a politic disassociation from fairies, although Lewis makes it clear that he himself does not consider fairies to be demons in his chapters of the topic. In an era of intellectual and religious upheaval, some Victorian re-appraise mythology cast deities in his general metaphors for natural events, which was later refuted by other authors, this contentious environment of thought contributed to the modern meaning of fairies. Another belief held that fairies were spirits of the dead. This derived from many factors common in various folklore and myths. Same of similar tales, both ghosts and fairies. The Irish, uh, for example, the original term for their fairies, an ancient burial mounds deemed dangerous to eat food in fairyland and Hades. The dead and fairies depicted as living underground. There's also an outdated theory that fairy folklore evolved from folk memories of prehistoric races. Newcomers superseded a body of earlier human or humanoid people. The memories of these defeated races developed into modern conceptions of fairies. Proponents find support in this tradition of cold iron as charm against fairies, viewed as a cultural memory of invaders and iron weapons displacing people who just had... Uh, stone, bone, wood, etc. at their disposal, and were easily defeated. 19th century archaeologists uncovered an underground room in the Orkney Islands that resembled the Elfland described in earlier books, which lent additional support. In folklore, flint arrowheads from the Stone Age were attributed to the fairies as elf shot, 
while their green clothing and underground homes spoke to the need for camouflage and covert shelter from hostile humans, their magic a necessary skill for combating those with superior weaponry. In the Victorian tenet of evolution, mythic cannibalism among ogres was attributed to the memories of more savage races, practicing alongside superior races of those refined sensibilities. A theory also that said fairies uh, were intelligent species distinct from humans and angels uh, that were actually elementals. An alchemist uh, classed gnomes and sylphs as elementals, meaning magical entities who personify a particular force of nature and exert powers over these forces. Folklore accounts describe fairies as spirits of the air. What do you think? Have you ever seen a fairy or a leprechaun for that matter? Let us know in the comments. Also, if you enjoy this show, please consider subscribing. Supporting the show and subscribing helps this show continue. We are now in Season 3. I have two other seasons that you can enjoy, as well as some other specials that are not part of the season, along with the Dark Cast Network of Indie Podcast Creators. Thank you very much for listening tonight and being part of the Mythical True Crime community, hosted by me, DJ. Subscribe to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get your weekly updates. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Subscribing will directly support the show and the work that I'm doing. If you'd like to be a new supporter, consider clicking the link in the description box below. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help me continue to make great content for listeners everywhere. No commitment cancel any time. This has been the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night.